It's truly an honor to meet you. Um, nice to meet you too. Thank you for doing this. I'm Pleasure. here sitting here with Michael Casehow. Is that the correct pronunciation? Perfect. Okay. You know, I've heard it all. <laughs> <laughs> my, my name has the same problem. <laughs> so I want to start by asking you about your youth and where you grew up. Yeah, I, I grew up in Germany. Um, my uh, parents are German and Polish and uh, I grew up in the Black Forest in the oh, southwest okay. south the southwest part of Germany and um, didn't move to Canada until I was 18. And you started the piano very early. Yeah, pretty young. And this would have been your choice or your parents' choice? It was my choice actually because um, my dad plays a little bit. He plays a little bit of ragtime and a little bit of you know, he, he, he showed me the 12 bar blues when I was five years old for the first time, you know, like <laughs> okay. just, just the little bass line and the 12 bars. And uh, so I always saw my dad play at home when my parents had people over and they would have dinner parties or something and my dad would play and uh, he was the life of the party and everyone loved it. And I, 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 I saw that and that's what I wanted to be. And because you guys it was just the, did this as a hobby. Just as a hobby. Yeah, he's not the best player. And I don't mean this, but he knows, you know. But, and I'm actually, whenever I see him, I'm trying to make him sit down to play four hands because he doesn't play that much anymore at home. And, I'm, and it's so much fun to play together, you know. But obviously, reading about you, he was obviously a big influence on the, the musical environment he created for you. He is the reason why I do what I do. He's the reason why I play piano, and he's the reason why I play the style of music I play as well. Um, so, so when I was uh, six years old, my mom put me in, I can't remember what it was called, but it had a name is for little kids to learn rhythm. Okay. And it's basically a pre-class you take before you go into conservatory in Germany. So I did that. And then at the end of that class, after a year, we all sat in, a, in this room, all the students and uh, their parents. And I still remember... There was two openings. There was trumpet and piano. And she turned to me and she goes, so what do you want, trumpet or piano? <laughs> and I said, piano, because I guess I was already playing a little bit at home, you know, I was seven years old. So they put me into piano lessons. Did you love the piano initially, like immediately? Yeah, because, because I saw my dad play it like that, and I just I loved it, always loved it, yeah. Um, so then do, I you th do you think at that age, what yeah. do you think it was about the piano that you loved? seeing seeing uh, my dad's connection to the instrument and what it did to people listening mm. to him. Okay, I don't I mean. think it was just, if he would have been a guitar player, it would have been the guitar. Yeah. It was just the fact of how he, um, what it did in the house to hear live music. It's great, you know, growing up like that is amazing. He played every day. Can you give me some examples? You said boogie woogie, but give me some examples of what he played. Uh, he played a lot of Scott Joplin, a lot of ragtime. Okay. Mm -hmm. He loved Dixieland, so he played some Jelly Wall Morton and those kind of New Orleans early piano things, you know. Now, living in the Black Forest of Germany, yeah. how accessible were, were those tunes? Like, how did he know about that? Uh, he, he was born after the Second World War, and around the time he, he was, you know, in his not even youth, like like teenage years, but earlier on, there was um, the area where they, when my dad grew up was occupied by American troops. Oh, right, okay. So there was a lot of American music that came in, and, um, and that's why he became a jazz fan, because he saw American bands touring there. He saw American uh, records everywhere, and, uh, and his record collection's crazy. 
It's just so. Was it easy so to buy records like that from, in in Germany back then? For sure. Oh yeah, yeah. It was. Um, he also ordered some through catalogs, but right. but you could find there was a, quite a few uh, stores. And then what I did later on might have been around in my dad's time as well. Like when he was younger, there was a lot of record. Um, what do you call it? Not conventions, but you know, for a weekend, independent. And secondhand record vinyl right. player uh, sellers would set up in this huge hall, and you would just go there and look around. It was like heaven, you know, finding all these records of, and that's how I found a lot of boogie woogie stuff of players I've never heard of before. Right, but I understand the first record you bought wasn't a boogie woogie album. No, it was. Uh, the, well, the first record I bought, you mean? Yes. Oh, the first. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was ACDC. Tell me about that, because obviously you're, you're influenced greatly by Ragtime, Boogie Woogie, yeah. and then you pick Dirty Duns. Dirty, Dirty, Dirty Deeds, Deeds Dirty Cheap, yeah. Well, first of all, it's a good record. It's a good record. <laughs> so, what age were you, and musically, where were you at at that point? Uh, this was when I was about 12, 13 years old. Okay. Um, so, when my parents put me into lessons when I was seven, I had a great first teacher. She was... Uh, she really got me excited about the instrument. My brother was playing too. His teacher would whack him on the, oh, really? on, on the hands. He stopped after two years. <laughs> so I was very lucky to have that first teacher because she really made me want to play piano. And then uh, she moved away. And so the conservatory put me into another teacher's class. And although we got along personally, I didn't learn anything from that guy. So what do you think, what was it that you, you stopped you from learning? Well, it was, it was the connection between me and that person that okay. I, th I think that's, and that's what I say when I do master classes or when I talk to teachers now, it's very important at an early age that the student creates a relationship with the instrument. It's not as important to play scales and play certain songs mm -hmm. as that can be worked on later on. But if you don't have that initial love for the instrument, you're not going to learn. You know? and, and I was lucky that I had that with my first teacher. So then my second teacher was, although he was, he was Irish and, and, and he was super fun and we had a great time, but he would also, between lessons, he would go and get a coffee. And then one day I was sitting there playing some boogie and he walked in and he goes, what are you doing? <laughs> like he did, you know. <laughs> so, and that, so anyway, to answer your question, I was 13. I didn't have fun in my piano lessons, but I loved playing piano at home. I would listen to records and lift a lot of stuff from the records. And you, so you had the ability to. To, yeah, to it. listen because my, my dad would listen to records with me and go, listen to what they're doing. And he would show me on the piano what the notes are and stuff is, like that. Is that something you can learn or is that something you have? Do you know what it's I mean? something like, you can learn, I believe, because okay. it's just like reading music. It's um, it's another one of your senses that you have to develop. You know, you can learn it, but you just you have to work at it. It, it won't be like reading music, reading a, a, a difficult classical piece, sight reading it. I'm not talking about learning it mm -hmm. and reading it, but sight reading it. That's a craft in itself. Yeah, and uh, and so is listening two records and picking it out and you just get better at it and, and then at some point you hear it and you go oh yeah that's what it is you just do it but do you think you do you have like perfect pitch or relative pitch relative for sure I think you develop that by by doing that kind of ear training right. I don't have perfect pitch but and honestly sometimes with the kind of pianos I get on the road I'm happy I don't have perfect pitch <laughs> <laughs> well I would think that would be a curse to have perfect pitch 
I think so. I've, I mean, I haven't talked to any perfect pitch piano players who tour, but I would imagine it would just drive you nuts, yeah. So you, you basically went through the, the typical classical piano training as you're going Yeah, school. it's different in Germany, though. There's no conservatory levels like there are here. It's, um, you can have lessons for 10 years and not know anything if you're lazy. Right. The teachers will just keep giving you lessons and, and where you're at, or you can excel if you're driven or if the teacher drives you or something. But there, there's no classes you have to graduate from every year. So I was just, I just loved it, and so I just practiced a lot. And were you drawn to one composer more than another at that point? Um, Beethoven was always my favorite. And I think that comes from, um, I had a, in Germany you go to high school grade five like, mm -hmm. so you have one to four in elementary and then there's no middle school you go to high school and uh, when I went to high school in grade five my music teacher would always play when the class came in he would always play a song for us first and it was always for Elise or um, Moonlight Sonata or right. something like that he, he I guess he liked the Beethoven and I think that's where I have the Beethoven bug from because it's to this day if there's any person in music who I would ever want to meet, that's the person. Interesting. I, you know, I, I don't know a lot about classical music. I have yeah. some exposure to it. But over the years, as I get a little more exposure, it always amazes me how I'm kind of drawn to Beethoven. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, people know the fifth. Of you course, know, yeah. Or the course. ninth. Yeah, but yeah. there are other things. And I just heard yeah. a piece that played by a string quartet that just blew me away. Yeah. And I said, who is that? It was Beethoven. Yeah. I th you know, he's one of those composers for me that it's from the heart. There's a reason behind the stuff. Like when, and then when you get into knowing his life and what he went through and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff, you understand where it comes from. And I'm not just talking about the deafness, but the way he grew up, how his dad treated him, all that kind of stuff. Him having to support his family when he was a young kid as a piano prodigy, basically, because his dad was a drunk. Those kind of things shaped that music you know and and i also love stories about him like i think he was the first rock star because you know there's stories about him where he would go into um, the symphonies in or the opera houses in vienna and talk to the promoter and and the promoters at the time would say it's not written in the in the what would you call it in the um in the form that Haydn and Mozart and other people prior to him or that were contemporaries when he was young were writing in because they were writing in a certain form. Mm -hmm. um, and Beethoven was stepping outside those forms. Some of the pieces were longer. Some of the symphonies were way longer than some others. And he said, nope, this is the way it is. And he was like that kind of the first rebel of standing up for his music rather than having someone else tell him what to do, which is kind of what's going on in record industries forever, right. you know? And so I think I see him kind of as like the first rock star because he was, at the same time, he was one of the best piano players that mm -hmm. was around, you know? But he didn't make money, right? Like, he, his, did yeah, he make a lot yeah, of money? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know about a lot of money, but uh, he, he, he definitely made money with um, performances and, uh, and then he would get um, commissioned Mm -hmm. to write stuff you know so and he would he was a teacher too he had a lot of students a lot of female students apparently <laughs> Gee, I wonder how that worked out <laughs> <laughs> and he lived in a lot of places in Vienna right like yes go there, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah you well there's that uh, Victor Borger has a line um, about Beethoven you know the comedian yeah, yeah. And, he, and he says yeah 
Beethoven wrote this, uh, wrote his, I can't remember what song he was talking about, wrote this song, and uh, he wrote it in four flats, because he had to move four times while he was in Vienna, <laughs> something like that. So, okay, so, so it has nothing to do with the fact that you were born in Germany and you were in Germany, that you have this likeness to Beethoven, or you... No, it's more that I was exposed to it by a person in, at that, my high school band teacher or right. music teacher, and it just connected with me. Okay. Um, and then uh, you decide that the lessons aren't working for you. Yes, yes. So I know you were asking about the ACDC <laughs> record, because that's where I'm trying to get at there. Sorry, it takes me a little okay. while. No, this is good. So, yeah, thir- so I was 13, and this is two things kind of came together. So there was one thing um, was my piano lessons were no fun. And but I was playing stride and boogie at home and just like loving playing piano, playing for so hours. Is there any other other than your dad showing you things mm-hmm. and playing in front of people? What other musical influences were there other than your classes? Like were you listening to radio? Was uh, just records, okay. just the records in my parents' house. My mom's collection was Rolling Stones, Beatles, Bob Dylan, <laughs> you know, and and uh, the my, good stuff. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and my dad was. Louis Armstrong, Count Basie, Mallington, Even, those kind of things. Yeah, good Billy stuff Holiday. there too. Exactly. So I had both worlds, you know, and, and that's why I never even considered myself a blues or jazz artist because I love all these different types of music from, yeah, I love the Stones and I love the Beatles because of I grew up listening to that as well, you know. So, so I had these lessons that weren't any fun and at the same time we were going on vacation when I was 13 to... Uh, friends of ours and they had a, a, a son who was my age so we hung out a lot and he had this I mean this was the 80s he had a cassette tape of an ACDC bootleg concert mm-hmm. from 85 from the Fly on the Wall tour so it must have been 85 I guess um, or 86 maybe and uh, so he gave this to me and I had a Walkman you know in, in my room in the hotel room and stuff and so at night I listened to it and I never heard anything like it yeah. And it was a live recording on top of it, so the sound wasn't so great, and you could hear the audience react. And to me, just that energy and the tightness of that band, it's just like any other music. It's like the boogie-woogie music was the rhythm, as the Beethoven was the, the, the soul in his classical music. In ACDC, it was, it was the energy and the, and, the, and the simplicity of great written songs mm-hmm. that... I just loved it. In, immediately, I became a fan. And, I was, and then I went out, as soon as we got home, I went out and I wanted to buy that Fly on the Wall record. But then I saw the cover for Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, and I was like, this is cool. <laughs> so I bought that one. This is like a motel. <laughs> what? Is that bat motel background? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, okay. with, with the covered um, yeah, yeah. With the covered eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then um, I joined their fan club. Mm-hmm. I started buying all their records. I, I started buying any vinyl bootleg I could find at these uh, record auctions or whatever they were. And I just pulled up my uh, vinyl collection a few months ago and I saw all these ACDC records of, you know, there's, there's like 50 of them or something, including the bootlegs. And I, I was such a diehard fan. Did that affect you musically? Did you start playing differently because of your newfound love for ACDC. I didn't f- play differently on the piano, but I started playing drums. Because um, my brother, after his piano teacher um, basically ruined it for him, started taking 
um, drum lessons. So he started to play in like um, the local Oompa Ba band or whatever that was, mm -hmm. whatever is like the local thing in the little town in Germany. He would play the snare drum and they go marching or something. <laughs> and so there was a drum kit at the house. And then I listened to all these uh, um, ACDC records, and obviously I, I would start checking out contemporaries of them, of theirs. I would. I, I, there was another band from from England called Rose Tattoo, which I loved. Mm -hmm. and they were like the same kind of style. Um, so there's no piano in that music. So luckily, actually, because you know I'm the first to say if there's no piano in music and it shouldn't be there, then you don't have a piano player. <laughs> Right. Even if I would produce someone else's record and go, yeah, there's no, you shouldn't put piano in there because the song has to dictate. Right. So I started playing along to the jazz records on the piano and to the ACDC records on the drums. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and I had long hair down to here to down to my, you know, like past my shoulders. And I had a bunch of friends in high school who started a band. So... I was the drummer in this hard rock that turned into almost a metal band at some point. <laughs> and uh, I mean, when I tell this to people, sometimes they can't imagine me sitting at a drum kit with, a sh with my shirt off, with gloves on, playing <laughs> hard rock <laughs> with long hair as a teenager. It's you a know? little different image. Yeah, different yeah. image, yeah. But at the same time, I would hang out with my dad and his adult friends, and it was about jazz. So I had both worlds kind of going on simultaneously. So about jazz with your piano? Yes, okay. yes, absolutely. Did you ever go into jazz drumming? Or no, no? Okay. and I'm not a good drummer, although I'm a closet drummer because I love drumming so much, and I love drummers. You know, like uh, when I'm on stage playing off a drummer is very important for me. Um, but uh, I would never be good enough to go on stage anymore. I think, it would, you know, I'm, I'm actually not really sure how good we were as a band when I was 15. <laughs> So at that point, you're in a band. It's just fun. You're not thinking no, there's not, any no career or anything like that. It's um, and then when I was 16, I started performing piano, uh, and that happened. Um, I, I saw this poster in in the in my hometown and it said blues and boogie woogie piano. So I said to my dad, "We gotta go check this out." So we went down there, and there's a local guy. I don't remember his name. He was terrible. You know, like he was okay at the beginning, and then he got drunk throughout half. It was a little club, you know, right. a little bar, and uh, he would repeat songs, and and it would just, and it was just not good. And so I don't know what made me go up to the bar and say, uh, "Who books this place?" Because I felt like if this guy can do it, I can do it. Wow! And I'm not really <laughs> sure what made me do that at the time. And so he gave me a, a phone number, an address for someone. And then I recorded a cassette tape with like a little cassette recorder in my parents' basement on the piano. I sent it to the guy and he gave me a gig at that place. So at this point, do you have a repertoire of songs? Well, I'm playing, yeah, I'm playing like some um, covers for sure. You know, they're all covers, but they're like just boogie and blues things I would hear from, from records. Like this is something you don't even need scores for no no music. this is just uh, and I, and at that point I was able to just improvise as well you know because I I've been playing at that point I've been playing jazz and blues stuff for over 10 years you know right. um, did you know you were good yeah I did in the way that I knew that people liked it when they came over to the house and I played like when my uncle came over or when my dad's friends came over and I played for them, 
I could see the reaction. It wasn't that I sat down like, oh my God, I'm good. It was no, more no, that no. I, it was more that, you know, I saw that. And you're con quite comfortable playing in front of people. Yeah, at that age, I don't think you really think about it because you're just, <laughs> just excited. Right. You know, and I've never been, um, like being on stage is the most comfortable thing for me. I love it. And I think it comes from the fact that I was so young when I started doing it, you know. And then that first jazz or boogie show I did there, I mean, half the room was my family anyway. So you're just... But there's the other half. There's the other half, yeah. But so you're just kind of showing off, you know. And I remember that feeling of being on stage that first time and what it felt like. And, and it was just, uh, it was what I wanted to do, you know. But I never thought about career or making a living with it because growing up in a small town in Germany, I didn't know anyone who did that. Mm -hmm. My dad definitely wanted me to go to school, uh, university later on, and as he said, get a real job. And... Uh, so that was never on my horizon, actually, until I moved to Canada. So you're sitting there, you're enjoying this, you think, this is fun, but yeah. there's no career in this. this no, is this what is, I will do, is just as for I'm fun. doing it for fun. Yeah, because I, I'm still going to high school. You know, you 13 uh, grades there's at the time, so it was like almost 18 when I graduated. And um, I, no, there's none of that, because I didn't know anyone doing that. And, and I knew that I would have to go into accounting or lawyer or dentist or, you know what I mean like I knew and I never had any interest and I was already dreading like oh, I gotta pick something and he actually when I first when I first came over to Canada when I was 18 I went to uh, UVic University in Victoria and I looked at uh, pre-medical courses because I thought maybe I should just you know try and get be a doctor or something because I know my dad would like that and so I even checked into that at the time when I moved over here because I didn't. I had to. I knew I had to find some kind of job. Can I ask you how you decided? Or what was? How did it be come about that you wound up in Victoria? Well, my grandmother, most of her family, left during the war, and they came to Canada. Oh, okay. And um, they lost touch after a while. And this is a bit of a long story, but I'm just telling it because it's a little bit of a serendipity thing. Um, my dad just decided he wanted to take the family on a big vacation one day. My grandparents, everyone, and just go somewhere where we haven't been, somewhere far. Sorry, can I ask you, what, what yeah. did your dad do? Uh, he had a little business where they, they would, um, he was just sitting in his office, but they would uh, maintain big air filters in like industrial companies okay. and stuff, you know. He just kind of built something. He didn't have a, anything but high school graduation, so he just built a business. Um, was very successful with it for what he did, you know, um, which is all relative anyway. Yes. Uh, so, what, what, what was that? Vacation. Here? Vacation, that's right. So, uh, so we came, so then he ran into his old boss and his old boss said, I have a house on Vancouver Island. You could, you could stay there with your family for a couple of weeks if you want. So Vancouver Island, Victoria was the destination. We came there to Victoria. We arrived. My grandma pulled out these old letters from uh, from her cousins and from her whole family. And she said, you know, we lost track. But here, I wonder if these addresses are still good. They lived 15 minutes away from that house. Huh. She didn't even know they were on the island. So that was, you know, there was tears and this big, 
reunion and from then on uh, we came this was in 86 from then on we came every year on vacation basically and then uh, around 93 my dad I mean my dad loved Canada whenever he came here he just loved it and so he sat down the whole family me my brother my sister and uh, my mom one day and he just approached he said what do you guys think if we move to Canada and we're all excited about it because you uh, had been here because we yeah and we had a connection with uh, you know especially the west coast and all that kind of stuff and 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 we were really excited about it and I have to say it's my it's the best move I ever made in my life because who knows if I'd actually be playing music for a living otherwise honestly at the age of 18, it's a tough move to make because you're at a certain point in your life. You miss, you're probably now not abandoning, but you're losing a lot of your kids you grew up with. Sure, yeah, yeah. Was that an adjustment? Um, or had you established some sort of friendship with people in Victoria? No, I didn't know anyone. My it was We were always just hanging out with family when I was there, when we were there. But um, I think the excitement to have such a big life change and move overseas, which... When you're in Europe, North America is, that's like, wow. Which is probably the same way we feel about Europe. Exactly. <laughs> the grass is always greener. Like, always like yeah. that. So, um, but I mean, I mean, I, I understand that the Black Forest area is pretty beautiful It's as very well. beautiful, yeah. But when you grow up there, yeah, yeah. it's just where you grow up. You yeah. know? Like, I go back. Is. Yeah, but I go back now to the Black Forest and I'm seeing stuff I never saw when I grew up. It's like, wow, this really is beautiful. When you grow up, it's just, it's just where you live, right? Um, so it wasn't until you got to Victoria that you actually saw somebody play yeah. in a pub or whatever. And that's what it was. It was seeing guys playing in pubs. And at that time, Victoria had an amazing music scene. Uh, every pub had music, and there was a couple of jazz clubs and, and a blues club, and there was just a lot of stuff going on. And, uh, and it, same in Vancouver. Great blues scene in Vancouver back in the 90s. Um, and I'm sure in other, other times too, but that's when I knew it. Mm-hmm. And so I saw these guys playing for 75 bucks and 100 bucks a night and making a living doing that, playing four or five nights a week. Another thing which I never thought people would do, I thought, oh, you play a weekend here and then you play next month, you play over there at this festival. Right, right. So you play five nights a week, this is your job. And uh, seeing that was uh, made me go, okay, I'm going to go drop off this tape I made in my parents' basement. I'm just going to go drive around all these places and drop it off. One person called me back, this lady, Bobby Blue. Um, and she said, I can't give you a gig, but I, I host a blues jam, and you can come play a song. So I went there, I played a song. The owner of the pub came straight up to me, and he goes, how do you feel about playing every Wednesday night? Wow. And that's how I got into it. I, I, I never planned. Even then, it was just I just wanted to continue what I was doing in Germany to play on the side. I was still thinking of going to Uvic and trying to do something else. And so I just kind of followed. I've always done that with my career. I just kind of followed it rather than push it. So you do this, and there's like it's not music business. It's just I'm playing in a pub once a week. How does that start to grow? Where does it go from there? At the beginning, I played solo because that's what I was used to playing. And then um, someone approached me and said might have even been the owner of the pub, I, I can't remember, and said, um, you should try and hire a trio sometime or play with the drums and bass or something. Probably sound great. And I was like, oh, yeah. 
So I talked to my brother, who was playing some drums, and I said, how do you feel about playing? So he was my first drummer for a little while. And then we found this bass player. I might have asked the pub guy who else plays bass in the pub. And so that was my first time putting a band together. Is there an image of another band, a trio that you're thinking of, or are you modeling really, yourself after no, anybody else? No, this was really just... I mean, I knew... My dad showed me a lot of videos, uh, jazz videos from back in the day, but they were mostly big band things or, or you know, not trio stuff, really. Um, so how easy was it to define a sound that you were looking for? I wasn't looking. <laughs> I think that was the play. key. Yeah, I just for me, it was always just the excitement. of I just love to play. And I... Now I love playing more than ever. Like it's it's kept going to the point where I, I can't even imagine what it would be like not having it as part of my life now. You know, what it gives me not not, not talking about career, but just what the playing gives me. Right. Um, and then so H and V had three stores in Victoria at the time, and uh, I guess people that came to see me on Wednesday nights went into H and V the next day and go, I saw this guy last night. Do you have his record? One of the salespeople at HMV in Victoria was also working for um, a small label in Victoria. So she heard that. She went to this guy who owned the little label and said, you should check this guy out. The key people keep coming in asking for his CD. So he came and then he said, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, and I, I, I used to work for Warner in Toronto and I live here now. I have this smaller label and, and I still have some contacts in Toronto with other people. And how do you feel about recording? And so that's why I started. I really just followed these. I never, I never, ever planned any of this. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the planning really just came later on when I started to get involved with people in the industry and I saw how they were planning my career, mm -hmm. which always kind of bugged me. You know, but so because I, I I'm not very clear on the path that you've taken to get to where you are, which is pretty impressive. You're playing Massey Hartmann, yeah, and I think that's yeah, it's great. I'm not taking that for granted either. You know that the fact that I've come to play from the first time I played in Toronto was at Holy Joe's. <laughs> How I'm many, not kidding. How many people were at Holy Joe's? Um, maybe five. <laughs> three in the band, five in the audience. So this yeah. would have been what? Like this was 96. 96, okay. Yeah. So, so this is 20 years 25, Yeah, 20 years ago, 21 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, and it was really always just the excitement of um, playing. Even uh, when we played the first show here at Holy Joe's, I thought... I'm going to go back to Germany since I knew people in my hometown. I'm going to take this trio to Germany. I'm going to show these people what I'm up to. and uh, But just for the fun of it, not for any career move or something. So I started putting my own tours in Europe together just by calling people I know and seeing if they know someone. Wow. And then, and this was still my brother playing drums and, and this bass player from Victoria. And then so we did this stop here at Holy Joe's on the way to Germany because the guy in, in Victoria owned the label, said, you have to play in Toronto. You put out a record, you have to play in Toronto. And that's, I guess, the only gig he could get from me. <laughs> how, was the, how was the record received? Uh, it, it was received well. It got a lot of great reviews. And, and um, it was just a solo one, right. the first one. And 
and I sold a lot of copies of it, that, which was another thing I was not used to. People giving me money for like actually hard cash while I'm giving them my music. You know, if you're not doing that for that reason, it's a pretty amazing feeling. You, you go back to your... But by, by this time, are you not doing it as a career? Well, I'm starting it as a career, but, but I'm still eight, 19 years old at that time, 18, 19. And I'm still in the back of my head. I'm still going... I probably should do something else to fall back on because right, right. that's what my parents keep telling me. And you yeah, because your parents were kind of hesitant of you following this, right? They didn't. Yeah, of course, because um, even though it was their fault that you got into this whole absolutely, mess. and they were my biggest fans. You know, <laughs> like they love hearing me play, but at the same time, they're like, I don't know, playing music for a living is that even possible? You know, like it just because we knew no one who did that, right? So they were just. My dad grew up with not that much money, so so he just he really wanted to look out for us. He he was just like just don't end up at, you know like just yeah. be careful with. So, but I was um, my my brother followed those footsteps a little more, and uh, and I was just so into the music that I yeah it kind of affected my relationship with my parents for the first couple of years as well because until they saw that I could actually support myself. It was always a bit of a struggle. So it's yeah, I'm sure because it's not an easy thing to get into, and and you also you seem to be taking a path on your own. But I I didn't know what any other paths were. For yeah. me, that was just the path. It's just <laughs> you know, like I didn't know how you do it, or I just kind of learn on the fly. So it was know? good enough to get a second record out. Yes. Well, what happened then is um, uh, a label here in Toronto wanted to put a record out with that guy in Victoria. Um, and I think, I don't know if they were distributed by Universal or someone, or it was it was like some kind of step up, at least, you know, from what I was doing in, with the guy in Victoria. And, um, and, he, and so all of a sudden, my band wasn't a part of the project anymore either because they weren't good enough. Okay, how did you feel about that? Well, it bothered me at the beginning because... Um, that was not what it was about for me. Yeah. I was hanging out with my brother and a good friend on stage making music, and that's what it was about, you know, and people loved it, so I don't know. I didn't see what was wrong. Because that's the, that's the kind of things that a lot of people don't talk about, but part of the music business where yeah. the record company does dictate Absolutely. a lot of things. Yeah. And oftentimes they'll just hide it, get session musicians to play and not even credit them, right? So much stuff going on that people just don't know about back right. there behind those scenes, you know? Um, I mean, even in that movie, what's the movie with the background singers, the 50 Feet from Stardom? Yeah, yeah. They were talking about how some of those singers even recorded music, put it out under other people's names that were at the same time touring. Yeah. Like, that's crazy, you it know? It is crazy. And um, so, yeah, I, so I got, uh, I was pretty green. I was pretty young. I had no idea. You know, I trusted everyone, <laughs> which I got definitely burned a couple of times and, and definitely... Um, helped me have a common sense for business, you know, and, and who I work with after that. But uh, at the time, it was just like, what do you mean? You're paying for this? Cool. Let, okay, let's do this record. This is amazing <laughs> to me. So there was never a plan. It just happened. Yeah, I, I basically just followed all these steps. So the next thing would have been, okay, so we can do this record now in Toronto with these and, you know, and then it was Guido Basso and Phil Dwyer and uh, George Kohler was on it. Oh, maybe George was on the next one. 
Um, so the record companies behind you, they think that you're going to be a thing. They th yeah, exactly. So they, they, um, we did this record, it's called Tell You How I Feel, and then we did a release at the Jazz uh, Montreal Bistro at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and then, and then that's kind of the time when I started to realize I'm starting a career. Because I, I, I was hanging out with people in the industry. I saw that there's publicists. I saw that there's CD release parties. You know, there's all the stuff that hanging out in the Black Forest or on Vancouver Island, you just don't get to see. <laughs> are you making money? I don't need figures. Yeah, but yeah. Are you actually making money and yeah, making yeah, a living? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, because in, in those days, my overhead's pretty low. You know, you don't, you don't, you haven't, what you own and everything is pretty minimal at that point. And, so, um, yeah, I was playing a lot because it wasn't just the Wednesday night because after that Wednesday night in Victoria, the next guy approached me and I had a Wednesday night and a Thursday night in another place. And then the next guy approached me and I ended up having three, four regular nights every week. And, uh, and they paid a hundred bucks each or something. So that's 400 bucks a week when you're 18. That's pretty incredible because you never made money before. And then you sell a few CDs for 20 bucks and it's just like, wow, people just give you money and I'm playing piano. And are you writing at this point or are you no. just doing mainly covers? Just yeah. mainly covers. I wrote a couple of songs, but, um, they were basically blues. Like it's just, I'm just wailing on a blues right. and gave it a name. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, uh, once that first record we did here was done, that's when I kind of started writing more and more. Was it, did that come easy to you? Yeah, because I, I actually, I just saw that around Christmas, my dad brought out this old box. I guess I was trying to write a symphony when I was 10 or something <laughs> like that. You know, because I was into the yeah. classical music. And so I would write these. I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be like Mozart or Beethoven. Or, I don't know, because I was so into these composers. And uh, I would write pages of pages of pages. And I would write for violin. I would write for, wow. you know. And that was really just because I was into composers. And, and that's what they do. So writing, yeah, no, it was never a... I, I think I definitely got better at it because I've done it more and more. Up, like now, and I'm, hopefully we'll get better than now as well. Like I listen back to the early stuff and it doesn't make much sense to me. <laughs> but well, you've done 11 albums. Yeah, but, but, but at the same time, it's just this is a snapshot of where I was at at the time. Mm -hmm. That's what an album really is or should be. And how, I, how did you find that, you know, from playing in a pub or playing in, in your parents' living room or yeah. whatever to winding up in a recording studio is a totally different thing. Tell me about the experience. It was phase one where we did that first record. And uh, that was a different experience. And, and I loved it because it was like official. Mm -hmm. You walk in, there's gold records on the wall. This is there's a heavy a duty secretary. studio. There's like three studios in this in Probably this a ping pong table. There's probably a ping pong table. Exactly. <laughs> Billiard table. Is, you know, there's a great, huge piano. There's an engineer. There's an assistant to the engineer. There's like all these people. And for me, crazy. And, um, and I loved it. At what point did it become not this something that's incredible that it just became uh, just a matter of fact thing you mean the the studio experience and recording it's still and incredible for me really yeah i love recording very much there's uh i love performing i love recording and i love writing by myself at home those or co-writing as well but those three things are you know Learning new things is great, and, 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 and 
whatever, uh, uh, doing business stuff is great. But those three things in music are my favorite things. And is that a difficult thing at this point in your career to find time to do? Like no. I, like, I don't know how busy, like, I look at your tour schedule, mm-hmm. and you have, like, I, I, res- I, I always wonder about artists at a certain level, people who play Massey Hall being yeah. one. Well, you get to a point where, if you're playing Massey Hall, that means you're not really playing anywhere else in Toronto. No, and you shouldn't for a while. Right, yeah. right. So, so you've reached a certain status, which also limits you on how much you can play, unless you're touring all over the world. Yes, yeah. Is that a frustrating thing in terms of... You know, if you're used to doing four gigs a week, mm-hmm. and now you can do that, but mm-hmm. only for three weeks at a time. Or well, it's funny because uh, when I started out and I was playing four nights a week and had all these regular nights, it's a hundred bucks. Massey Hall doesn't pay hundred bucks, you know. <laughs> so hopefully not. <laughs> so there's that. It's funny that the less gigs you play, the more money you make. Right. Once you step up to those venues, and making yourself rare in certain places rare meaning that you can't just play every few months because people won't come out and buy a ticket because they go I oh, will see you next time yeah, yeah. so there's that whole I game. mean there must have been a point where you had to make that change to go to soft seat theaters yeah and make yourself less and and, and that happened in uh, in Victoria as well um, uh, through another guy Michael Burke actually who owns Cordoba Bay Records Michael Burke, I just interviewed a couple weeks ago. I saw, I heard that actually. I saw that on your on your thing, um, and uh, he put on a show with me and um, that record guy. I guess they were friends. They might still be mm-hmm. um, at the Herald Street Theater. Was it called at the time? I think it's um, it's some kind of clothing store now, but it was uh, <laughs> it was like a three hundred seat cute theater. That was my first experience ever being in a theater, like playing for people who sit down, not have a beer and talk, but actually sit down and just sit there and listen and look at you. And and again, that was like, okay, here we go. Here's another step of something I haven't experienced before. And I love that. The approach to your stage presence, did that change when you went to that South Sea Theater? No. Versus the pub? It's like if I would have seen you... 20 years ago in the pub, would I see the same guy I saw two weeks ago? No, it's changed from then to now, for sure. Yeah, but uh, but what I would have done on that theater stage, as compared to the following week, I would have been back at the pub. Right. You know, in those days. So, uh, and uh, and then I got hooked up with um, a, uh, an agent um, who was working with Pecan Entertainment at the time, because uh, he was a friend of someone else's who was in that circle of people I knew, or that the record guy in Victoria knew. And so all of a sudden, there's offers coming in from other cities. Um, because before that, the, the, the first time I went out of town was I went up to Prince George, BC. So this guy called me and he said, I have this, I do this blue series at this restaurant or something. I can only pay you 300 bucks for three guys which is what you play for in town. You don't take a ferry, drive 10 hours, yeah. play, stay overnight, drive 10 hours back, pay your band. Like for 300 bucks, it's, you're going to go way in the hole. Right. For me, I did it. I was like, are you kidding? You're going to, you know, I was like so excited. I'm going out of town to play music. So I went up there for, you know, that was my way of booking stuff. I wasn't so, I, I wasn't a, I wasn't a hustler. But it's an investment too, right? Absolutely. Then, then you get asked back, hopefully. This guy just showed up when I played in Prince George last year at the theater. 
and we reconnected and, and talked about that, you know, you will see people always again, mm -hmm. you know, especially in, in a small industry like Canada. But uh, so then having this agent, all of a sudden there's offers coming in and money is, there's a little more money and there, and there are theaters that might trust that you put on a good show because they trust the agent's word. They say, take my word, you haven't heard, you haven't heard of him, but you know, you will not be disappointed. So it's more that than radio airplay or anything else? Yeah, although um, Jurgen Goth at the time in, uh, in, at CBC in Vancouver was a huge supporter and, and that actually gave me a big boost. You know, and, and uh, um, a few years later, I mean, this is quite a bit later then, but then I did a couple of shows with Stuart McLean. And just that listenership and, and, and that really kind of elevated it up again to something else, you know. These are all little steps that are just, that came my way at the time, right. you know. But this is only, this is not only Canada, though. You still, you tour in the States, you also hit parts yeah. of Europe. At like, that time. Right. Um, but there were, it was minimal. It was kind of building as well, you know, like that, because then the Canadian agent goes, well, you should get an agent in the U.S. And then I know this guy. And then all of a sudden you have an agent in the U.S. And I mean, this sounds very, uh, sounds like a, sounds like heaven for any musician. Like, to, to, you know, I'm putting it this way now, talking like this, but it wasn't quite as easy as it no, sounds. But at the same time, there's also, I, I, and I think anybody who's seen you on stage mm -hmm. will notice that there's a certain energy that you give out. There's yeah. a certain show that you put out that's yeah. pretty amazing. And, and obviously, your talent and all that. Yeah, but that's all honest. You know, like, I don't, I don't ever go on stage and not try and put on a show. Somehow, as soon as I sit down, like, if you would have seen me at the Maple Blues Awards before I went out on stage, I was standing, standing side stage. I was not, I was, I'm a pretty shy guy. You know, I'm not as... A lot of musicians seem tend to be. I guess so, yeah. Because, and then you... I go out and it's really, I get hyper at the piano and I love talking to the audience and I love connecting with them and looking at them. And I mean, the moment you stepped out, there was energy. Like it was just, it was there. And I think it's important that you're in the moment as an artist because you can, you can go out and kind of pre-plan the whole thing and think what you're going to do and what you're going to say and blah, blah. But then it's not real. It's, it's the same thing as our conversation right now. If I would have written down all my answers before I knew <laughs> yeah, what you're yeah. asking me, this would be a terrible conversation. Yes, that's true. Yes. And that's the same idea, basically, you know. And so I go out with, um, I'm very aware of where I am. I look around the room, and the people, and, 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 and I don't really think about, I know my muscles and my fingers know what they're doing. I don't think about what I'm playing. I'm kind of putting myself into the room, listening as an outsider almost, you know, and I'm kind of watching. And um, and I think people can just see that it's genuine and honest. I think that's all it is. That's where that energy comes from, you know. And the love that you have for playing. Absolutely, and that's what they see. They they see that it's that it's my favorite thing to do, which it really is, you know. And it's the easiest thing for me to do. It's, when I sit at the piano, there's like a safe zone around me. It's just nothing can happen. Was there a tough time? Was yeah. there a really difficult time? There was uh, not so much for the piano playing, but there was for business for me, yeah. And that was a time when I even thought about stopping performing. Really? Doing something else, yeah. Because, again, two things came together at the same time. I started to create a huge interest for cooking. 
I noticed that on your mm-hmm. website, mm-hmm. the recipes. Yeah. So, so this, check out casehammer.com for yeah, recipes. This, I, didn't, I wasn't sure what that was about. So. Well, this is just because I have so many recipes I've written <laughs> from uh, coming up with, you know. For me now, cooking is as enjoyable as playing music because I get lost in the moment. I can improvise. I can, you know, and for me, it's important that I... I mean, where I live, it's kind of easy. You go see this guy on the boat, you buy your fish, you go to the butcher, get your meat, you go to the farm, you get, you know, it's not processed food. Right. So it's really fun to touch it and, and work with it. And, um, and that just gave me another outlet for getting lost in the moment. Will there be like a Michael Casehammer cookbook soon? I'm not sure about soon, but there's, I have a couple of ideas that involve my cooking or recipes with the music, maybe, or something. I'm, I'm, I keep working on it. I'm, it's not that I'm, I'm not trying to come up with a, a project, or I, I'm going to... I know when the idea solidifies, it's right. But I, it's always on my mind, but I know that there will be a time when it's right. It's just not right now. Where does the cooking, the love of cooking come from? Eating bad food on the road. <laughs> I'm okay. completely serious. <laughs> well, I can imagine it's very <laughs> different. But, I mean, it's not like you've got a hibachi in your room right now and you can cook up something. No, right? no, that's the thing. Yeah, see, well, and that's the thing. You have to be... When, you, when I go on the road now, I can't be picky about food because sometimes, well, you have half an hour. Yeah. You've got to pick something up that can't be cooked that has to be that's already done. And, uh, you know... Sometimes, I mean, this trip is a shorter trip, but if I go on the road for a couple of weeks, sometimes I can really feel it in my, I my hear body. I a lot. You know, like yeah. I can, it's, it really, I mean, obviously it's common sense that what you put into your body is going to affect your body. <laughs> but how does that translate into, let's cook up a big batch of chili that's different or whatever. Like, how do you create recipes and how did that start? Well, it's, uh, to, you know, from, you start with recipes of other people when you first start cooking something you know <coughs> yes there'll be a, there'll be or something you eat on the road if you you know later on when i when i could maybe go to better restaurants um i get a lot of ideas from food on the road as well and uh yeah you just kind of uh, if you know what certain things taste like you you might you know, you do a recipe from someone else's recipe, and then you might do that again, but you go, yeah, I didn't like that part of it. Maybe I'll put some of that in there because I missed that kind of taste. And then I write it. I make notes of it. Interesting. Yeah. Is there is there correlation to that, that creative process in the kitchen versus the creative process in the making of music? Same thing, I think. I mean, you're doing a different task, yeah. but your mindset is the same thing. You know, it's a... Uh, I mean, when I'm playing, too, like I was saying when we were talking about energy on stage and all that kind of stuff, being in the moment, I'm really there. I'm just kind of shutting off my brain, and I'm aware of what it feels like when my hands, my fingers touch the keys. Maybe it's cold, maybe what, what you smell and all these kind of things. The same thing when you're cooking, and, and you just kind of you observe. Interesting. So... I'm not sure how we wound up in. You no, know, I know. I you said that I asked you about the down, the bad times, and, and obviously That's some right. bu- bad business right. dealings came by. So yeah, it was a bunch of business stuff that just made me go, "Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Why am I putting up with this?" 
I mean, I love to play. I would have never stopped playing. I would have just kept playing at home. Right. You know, because but there's also times when music as a business gets in the way that restricts musicians from playing. That's what it was, basically. Okay. Yeah, it, it was, it was um, not really being able to be fully myself as well as just some bad financial stuff that was going right. on. Okay. But um, so, uh, so this is happening. At the same time, I'm starting to get into cooking. And, uh, and at the same time, I was doing a solo tour through almost half of Canada. So and I drove myself because I wanted to just kind of do something else. And a um, few dates into it, I was like, I'm not really getting out of this what I need to anymore. Being on stage, I just it just started wow. becoming... I mean, I still had fun playing and people liked it, but the deeper meaning of it for me wasn't the same anymore. And because was, the bid business tainted you? It just, yeah, it was just too... It just covered... It was just darkened everything else, you know. It's like a big blanket over it. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so I started to... I think a friend of mine told me to just kind of write out my stream of consciousness to kind of get out that stuff in the morning so I have a good day on, on the road. <clears throat> so I started doing that, writing journals and stream of consciousness. And then out of that stuff, I just started writing lyrics and poems and those kind of things and actually things that have to do with me. And that's where my songwriting really started. And How many years ago was this? This would have been... Uh, early 2000s, probably, okay. yeah. And, uh, and so halfway through that tour, I thought, what's something else I'm interested in that I could do for a living? And then cooking came to mind. And I thought, maybe I'll open a little restaurant on the island in Victoria, maybe somewhere outside, where the kitchen is open. It's a small place. The kitchen is open. You can see everything. And I'm there. And there might be a piano there as well. And it's small, but it's all like homegrown food in the garden, those kind of things, just things that interested me. And, uh, and I really was going quite far, at least in my head, with planning that that is something I want to do instead of music business. I, I don't know which is tougher. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. That's the thing. You know, that's, that's, that's exactly it. It's, it's, if I would have done that, might have been I might have had the same experiences in that business yeah, as yeah. I had in the music business and I would have been jaded about that or something you know but I presume a lot of cooks are like that or chefs that they, they're passionate about what they make and you absolutely know. The, the best the chefs I know who, who are the, the best I, that I've the best food I've eaten are the ones who do it for the love and I think in, in most jobs it's you have to have that passion for something to actually achieve something that's you know, valuable for you. How did you get that passion back? Um, well, I stopped pl uh, touring for like not long, but maybe a few months, two, three months or something. And I started to write, use these lyrics and write songs. Because before that, the stuff I wrote was mainly instrumental. Right. You know, vocal tunes were just tunes I covered. And so now I was talking about my own problems because my journal was full of dark stuff, you know, trying to get that out before I had to get in the car and drive to the next town. And, uh, and then I started writing these songs, and, I, and just because of it being something different from playing the stuff that I played at my show... Which would be stuff, more upbeat. 
yeah, like the boogie stuff and the yeah. stride stuff. And all of a sudden I was writing like more in a singer songwriter vein, like me, not to, uh, you know, to pigeonhole that, but just actually writing verse, verse, chorus and having actually a structure to a song and not trying to be complicated, which is right. something that jazz musicians like to do, especially in their young age, which is a ridiculous concept for music. I have to ask you, what do you consider yourself? I'm sure you just consider yourself a musician. Yeah, just but a piano it, player, but really. It, you know, I mean, I sing, I write and everything, but I'm a piano player. So when they say you're a jazz musician... It's fine if that's what they see. Okay. I don't you, see myself. You don't, you don't no, see it that not okay. at all. No, because... Um, well, like, like you know, at the Blues Awards, I'll fit in there. Yeah. And then I've, I've, done, I've done some of the folk festivals, so I'll fit in there. Or, uh, you know, and, and for me, it's all the same. This is just, these are just interests. Incorporating all these different styles into my playing is just because I love all those styles. And that's just how it comes out. It's not, none of it is contrived to be, uh, oh, let's try and be different or anything like right. that. Right. When, when's the ACDC tribute thing coming up? <laughs> <laughs> well, there might be something since they're gone now, basically, <laughs> you know, but um, uh, there's there's definitely, even their writing has influenced me. I'm sure it has. I mean, I, I look at the list of things that you, you highlighted in the HMV interview about the different music. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, sure, there was the boogie woogie, there was the mm -hmm. jazz, but there was the ACDC, the, and... There was Elbow and yeah, there was everything. Yeah, I and love Elvis. Yeah, I that's love it. Elvis. Yeah. In fact, know? that was good. the question was, what do you listen to when you're feeling down or something yeah. like that? And he said, Elvis. Okay, fifty six, especially <laughs> for, or or the the comeback special. I mean, that is incredible mm -hmm. stuff, you know. And uh, because when I grew up, Elvis was always like it was the cheese thing. Like just because my dad didn't like him because I guess he was only used to the later stuff and he didn't like it or I don't know there was it wasn't cool enough or it wasn't jazz enough but so I always had this um, thing in the back of my head about oh Elvis it's just you know and then I actually really started to check him out one day and I was completely blown away and and then actually getting into what he's done in his life you know he wasn't just a front runner of course you can say like i oh, stole everything which some people say that but it's just it's what people do you mm -hmm. learn your music from other people's playing right. people still do that today yes so that's how you learn that's how you learn that's how you learn your craft exactly so um uh you know just just uh hearing and those early recordings are so sparse too. You know, there's always some piano in there. It's like Floyd Kramer playing on some of that stuff, or, um, and then the Jordan Airs and all that. And it's just really, it goes straight to my heart. You know, I, I just think it's beautiful, and and I love all the eras that he's done. So anyway, but then there's also the business part of things. There's mm -hmm. a lot of he was a front runner for a lot of things with like you know the um, stadium shows and all those kind of things. Like and and. I think it's just very. Uh, there's a few. There's a few artists who are, who have. I don't want to say shaped me, but who have made me go. I'm gonna approach my music a little different, or I just learned something from this person. I'm gonna incorporate this. Um, and Elvis, discovering Elvis was one of those things. Is is it difficult to be so versatile, that people look at you and they, they put you into different cylinders, but. Obviously, your love of music expands a wide range, yeah. and, and and 
it might be difficult to cover. There might be certain things, like an ACDC cover tune, that you probably can't do on your album. Maybe you can. I don't know. Well, see, this is where I've gotten to, to, to talking about business. This is where I've gotten my career to now. I've always, and probably from those early um, experiences, I've always tried to, it was never about being famous or being, uh, you know, trying to trying to be better like in career wise than someone else or, or selling records for me it was never about that but if I wasn't going on stage and I couldn't play what I wanted that's what it, like then I, then I want to do it so that's what that was important to me and to get out of the business side stop working with people who dictate what you do it took me a little while but I'm at the point now over the last few records that I can literally do whatever I want Wow. No one will tell me what to do because they're my records. And are you where you... I mean, obviously, you can never be where you want to be, but... Well, I am. I am right here. Honest, honestly, that's how I think about it. I, uh, Which is like, you know, I, it would be hard for me to name many musicians that I've met who are at that level. What do you mean? Just that, that they're comfortable with where they are. Oh, yeah, well, the, the thing about the business is that and that's the thing. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There's always better. There's right. always somewhere to climb up. There's all, you know, and, and you, all, you have that carrot in front of you. That you're always chasing it. And it's like, that's not living. No, but is there a place you want to be? Of course I have goals. you got to have goals. And, 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 oh, a lot and, of people don't, though. You know, like, I'm, yeah, if I would okay. ask you 20 years ago, what's your goal? I'm not sure if you would have given me a goal. <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, then it would have probably just been, uh, I just want to play piano. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like if I can play piano forever, that'd be amazing. That would have been my goal probably, yeah. you know. And 20 years later, you're still doing it? Loving it more than ever. Like it's, I still have these plateaus that I reach where I go, okay, I feel like I've gotten better. And it still happens. Can you, is it fair for me to ask you to share what another goal would be or is that a little unfair? No, no, it's, um, for me, you know, I have a hard time traveling. I, uh, I don't enjoy traveling. I mean, I, I, I love getting there, but I, I, um, I don't do well on, on planes. I know the feeling. Yeah, I, and, it's, and it wasn't always like that. It actually turned into it, you know, there was a few years in a row where I flew over 250,000 miles a year, and it was just, too much you get onto a plane you're like oh my god and i stopped feeling safe right and uh so i wanted i wanted to tone that down a little bit which i've done over the last few years last two maybe three years i've actually passed on a lot of stuff and uh, maybe not try to put tours together that are too long but maybe a weekend or a week or something um, because for me, every artist is different, but for me, it's more important that I approach my career and my life the way I see myself happy mm -hmm. rather than what I should be doing in my career, which is, I think, was a, what a lot of artists do, especially when you're working with management and you're working with labels, because that's, there's a bottom line. Let's not, let's not, let's be honest. For people in the business, it's about the bottom line. Right. If you don't make business, if you don't make money with an artist, then why would you work with them? Like if you lose money, you know that's and that's what my experience was a lot of times. And so, um, 
like I'm in the happiest place I've ever been in my life. Now. And you're playing Massey Hall tomorrow night. And that, but it's not because of those things. It's not because I'm going to play at Massey. Like I, I completely forgot now until you just mentioned it, for example, you know, because I was just thinking about my past and stuff we talk about. But uh, if, 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 I would, if I would base my happiness on how the gig goes tomorrow or the fact that I'm playing Massey or how many tickets were sold, I would do it for the wrong reasons too. Interesting. You know, and, and so I really appreciate the fact that I can go into Massey Hall and play because it's, in, I mean, I never thought that I would ever do that. From that little pub in Victoria. Oh, I would never, ever, <laughs> even 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I should say, I would have never thought that, you know. But at the same time, it wasn't something, it wasn't that, that I was going, oh, I have to be there at that point or something, you know. I just, I always wanted to make sure that I'm happy where I was at in my life, still having goals. Right. Um, but the goals have to fit in with who you are and everyone's goals are different. And, and so someone else, a company especially, can't tell you what your goals are unless you want to be uh, a certain artist or you want to be at a certain level or you want to be a superstar or something. You have to go through that machinery because it's pretty much impossible, except now with YouTube breakthroughs and stuff, but it's pretty much impossible to do that by yourself or to do it with my attitude of going, I want to play whatever I want to play. Mm -hmm. But for me, that's more important than, than having people know me. But at this point in your career, I presume you have an audience who's behind yeah. you all the way. Yes. So if you do Highway yes. to Hell tomorrow night. <laughs> they would. Well, this is something I actually discovered, too, is I don't think it matters what you play. The two things that matter are that people see that you believe in what you do and how you translate it to them. What you do is almost secondary, I find, because you can't make someone like you, first of all. You, you know those people that, that mm -hmm. want you to like them. You, you like them even less, you know? <laughs> and that's but, the same with artists on, the, on the other hand, it would be like you would come off. I mean, I don't know how many bad gigs you have, but there are times you come off. There's none anymore because of that attitude. There's no more bad gigs. What is a bad gig? Okay. I'm but I, I hear a musician talking about... Oh, I, I don't think I played as well as I should. And I somebody coming up to them saying, no. that was the greatest thing I've ever seen. I, I, you know, we get off stage sometimes and there'll be someone in the band might be like, oh, we screwed that up or that. And I was like, we're here now. Like, who cares? What are you going to do? Go back and play it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't usually yeah. hear musicians talk this way. So. And I was not always like that. Yeah. I was def there was definitely times where, oh God, I was tired and I guess I didn't play so well. And, and then... But why, like, you know, it took me forever to get there. But, but, and since I have that attitude, there is no more bad gigs. And it's, I'm not saying I'm playing like amazing shows everywhere, no. but um, it helps the energy in the band. And people comment on that after every show the fact that it looks like, however big the band is, that Massey will be seven. Um, looks like friends hanging out, having the best time, making music. And for me, one of the best compliments is if someone says, I don't really like jazz or I don't really like blues, but I love this show. Because it's just music. Mm -hmm. You know? You're an impressive person. I'm no. glad I had the chance to talk to you. Yeah, but it's, I don't know. I'm just, like, I'm super excited for tomorrow, but I'm not going to think about it till we get there. <laughs> 
Well, it's better than was it Holy Joe's? Whatever you play. Yeah, it's better than that. But you know, but then no, I just I just think it's it's one of those places venues that has a history. And yeah. you know, I've gone there since I was a young kid going to see concerts. Yeah. yeah. And as a dreamer or somebody who thought, gee, it would be great to play that venue. It would mm. be one of those venues that you would think. Yeah. Are there any other venues that it would be you might have dreamt about in the past that you thought it would be really neat to play there. Well, there's that whole thing about Carnegie Hall, and for me, I have that because I love the Horowitz um, video of him playing at Carnegie Hall. That's one of my favorite. That, as a kid, I was a huge Horowitz fan and Gould fan, and uh, watching that video at Carnegie Hall when he made his comeback. Um, for that reason, not because I want to play Carnegie Hall or something, right. but because I have these kind of memories from those places you know um but other than that i don't know not really no i, I mean i'm sure there's great places out there i'll get to play in the future but oh, sure um i have to wrap this up but i do want to talk to you about the the program you're doing with the chinese students yes so tell me a little bit about that. well i've been um last october i went to china for a tour which was my fifth tour over there i've been going five years i took a year off in between ones but Basically, every year I'm going. I'm going again this October. And it's been building quite into a big thing there for, for, you know, for what jazz is. I get to places sometimes. I'm saying jazz because, you know, yeah. putting it in that hole there. But um, I get to cities sometimes and it'd be, uh, you know, 8 million people. And I haven't heard it before because I just haven't been there or it's not on my radar. And I'm the first jazz show they've ever had in that city. And so that's how the conversation started with um, doing master classes with kids because they don't have a way to, uh, there's not that many teachers teaching jazz mm -hmm. and, and those kind of things, and, but the kids are interested in it. And so I started doing master classes and doing that kind of stuff. And then the next step came that now I'm writing a book for, that's being published there this fall about how for kids in Chinese, how to learn jazz. Wow. And then the next step after that I want to do is a piano camp on Vancouver Island for Chinese students to come over. Impressive. Yeah, so those are kind of... But see, that's how I approach my career. I'm really just interested in doing projects that I want to do. And those are just things I want to do. Mm -hmm. But the Something fact that will you come can out do that, because a lot of people talk about wanting to do things. Well, you just do it. Well, no. build a house, build a house. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, I know what you're saying, but I uh, yeah. obviously finances have to be, you know, of course you can't say, well, you, you know, you can't do everything. But in the end, there's, you can talk or think about something forever and it'll never come through. Mm -hmm. You just have to do it. That's the thing. You just, no, you that's just, true. And you know, it is, it's definitely true. Yeah. It's, it's, you can sit and plan for the rest yeah. of your life, but if you don't do it, no, then it's worthless. Do it and, and, and not worry. That's the thing because uh, worry is all your inner self just yakking at you with doubts. You know, it's like, is it going to work? Oh, maybe there's not the right time or is there enough money there? Is there going to be enough money coming in? Who is that talking? <laughs> <laughs> it's the dark side. The dark side. Yeah. Well, how about the other way around? This is going to be great. This is going to give the kids something. This is going to make some money so we can keep going for the next. How about thinking that way? I presume you've always been a very positive person. Um, yeah, except for my dark periods that I have had with business and stuff. There, there definitely was some times where 
I wasn't quite as positive, but um, I always loved life. I really love life. I love, I love just, I don't know, life, everything about it. And when I, when I write, the only things that inspire me are life. I never listen to someone else's music and go, oh, I'll write something like that, ever. You know, this has been a, a great conversation. It's Thank fun, you so yeah, much it's, for it's fun this. to talk about other stuff too. You know, because uh, lots of times it's so long, how long have you been playing the piano for? That's like the questions you get. <laughs> Well, this was nice. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks. It was such a pleasure for me. Great. Thank you so much. Awesome.